like most men, the very first time I heard the term baby shower, I was a little confused about why spraying down an infant was a group event and why it was something to be celebrated. And shouldn't it be baby bath and, you know, instead of baby shower, you know, for safety reasons, shouldn't that be the case? Well, thankfully, it didn't take me long, I think seconds, (laughs) to realize that a baby shower was, in essence, when you break it all down, it's a celebration of new life, isn't it? It's a celebration of new life. Specifically, it is a celebration of that blessing of a new child to a couple or maybe to a single mom. Sure, most baby showers are wonderful opportunities to provide for the material needs uh, that come along with welcoming a new baby into the world. You can imagine those, right? The diapers, the wipes, the clothes, the crib, the stroller, all of these things. But more than that, these gatherings are, I think they're wonderful opportunities for the community to acknowledge the blessing together. That circle around that parent or parents to acknowledge this blessing, to show support for that parent or those parents, right? To come along and say, we're here for you. We're here to celebrate and we're standing with you. What a beautiful thing. I know my wife and I were blessed, all three of our kids, to have some form or fashion of that kind of shower and that kind of support. Whatever your experience is with baby showers, I believe God has called every follower of Jesus to also celebrate new life. To celebrate new life. Specifically, the new life that comes only through our King and Redeemer, Jesus. But this morning, I'd like to share with you a couple passages that help us to see that idea in its fullness. Bigger than maybe we usually see it. So look with me at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, one of the passages that you were reading this this last week in our Bible reading plan, available on the back counter there, right in the middle, and available online as a download. Join us in this journey as we read through God's word together. The whole New Testament in one year. So you may remember this passage from the reading, and the setting here, as you just take a quick look, you'll see that the setting here, Acts 13 verse 1, is the city of Antioch. Antioch in ancient Syria, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, only about 15 miles inland from the Mediterranean. This is called Antioch on the Orontes, the Orontes River. It's called that because there's another Antioch in another place called Pisidian Antioch. So you'll actually encounter that other Antioch, so don't be confused by this. So listen to what Luke Luke, the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, responsible for the Gospel of Luke. This is the second volume in this this kind of magnum opus of the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. This is Luke uh, writing in chapter 13, verse 1. He tells us, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
while they were, these prophets and teachers, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Now, let's stop there. The main thing I'd like to point out to you about this passage is the simple observation that Saul, later referred to as Paul, we know him as Paul usually, Saul or Paul and Barnabas are, take a look, are sent by the Holy Spirit, but from the church. They are sent by the Holy Spirit, but from the church. That may, that may seem very obvious to you, and that's, and that's fine. Um, but, and it may, it, may seem, it may seem to be not a point of incredible significance, but hold on to it. Think of, let's, let's hold on to that idea and explore it coming up here. Now, that first part of the statement is pretty obvious from the text. Do you see that? They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit commands the church leaders to not only set these men apart, but set them apart for me, says the Spirit. Set them apart for me. And the reason? For the work to which I have called them. Look down at verse 4. It's crystal clear, isn't it? What does it say? (laughs) So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. There it is. Plain English. So that's clear. That point is clear. Uh, But what about this idea of, of Saul and Barnabas being sent out from the church? What do we mean by that? Obviously, they were sent out physically from that geographical location, right? They, they left that gathering. They were sent out in that way. But I think verse 3 shows us it was more than that. It was more than just moving one, from one place to another, people waving at you as you left. Saul and Barnabas recognized clearly here as important teachers in the church were commended to this new work. They were commended to this. Look at how the church identified with and supported this new effort. The church leaders fasted for these men in light of the Holy Spirit's movement. The the church leaders here prayed for these men. And the church leaders laid hands on these men. That wasn't just a happy kind of ritual to do. Uh, To lay hands on somebody, as Paul would later tell us in uh, the pastoral epistles, I think it's first Timothy talks about not laying hands on anyone too hastily because there was significance to that in doing that you were identifying with that individual just like in the Old Testament you laid hands on the animal that you identified with that would be sacrificed on your behalf so they fasted they prayed Fasted for these men, they prayed in light of them being sent out, and they laid their hands on them. All of these are these formal elements in this passage that seem to explain the the final phrase you see there in verse 3. They sent them off. There was a send-off, wasn't there? There was an actual formal send-off for these men. Sent off or sent out from the church at Antioch. You see, these men didn't leave in the middle of the night, did they? They didn't just take off. They were not kicked out after a leadership dispute at, at the church in Antioch. They were not treated as traitors for going, you're leaving us now. Wait a minute. There's more work to do here. What about the ministry here? Where are you going? 
No, 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 no. This church was highly supportive of this work. And why shouldn't they be? This was a work of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who was moving. But what exactly did this new work entail? Well, chapters 13 and 14 that many of you read, I hope all of you read this past week, they provide all the answers. We do not have time to read through them in their entirety, but I want to build off of your knowledge base of what you looked at this past week. This work to which the Holy Spirit called these men included three key elements. And here they are. Those come up automatically uh, once you click it. There they are. So they are evangelism, establishment, and encouragement. Evangelism, establishment, and encouragement. These are the three, uh, three elements that we see in Acts chapters 13 and 14. So let's unpack those one at a time. First of all, Paul and Barnabas, as is clear from these chapters, were evangelizing Jews and Gentiles throughout a number of new regions. First of all, on the island of Cyprus, which is a pretty good straight shot from Antioch, the coast near Antioch, across the Mediterranean to the west and hitting the island of Cyprus. They were doing that there. And in addition to this, they were they moved north to what is today the country of Turkey, known in those times as Asia Minor. And they were moving through two regions in Asia Minor, Pamphylia and Pisidia. So as they were doing this, they were evangelizing. Of course, evangelizing, it comes from the Greek word for gospel, euangelion. Good news is all it means literally. Good news. They were good newsifying. That's what they were doing. They were good newsifying as they went through Pamphylia and Pisidia after leaving Cyprus. So they were preaching this good news about Jesus, oftentimes with accompanying miracles. It talks about in chapter 14 how the purpose of the miracles was to testify to the word of God's grace. So churches out there today who are running around supposedly doing miracles and they're having it's a big show. Right. It's a big deal like that. No, no, no. The miracles existed the apostolic times in order to point to the word, in order to point people to the veracity of the word, to get their attention and say this, to say this is God's revelation to you. So often with these accompanying miracles, we uh, the sorry, the, the gospel was preached often with these accompanying miracles. They were calling men and women to follow Christ as Lord through the forgiveness of the cross. You just, you just read through Paul's message to the church there in Pisidian Antioch, the other Antioch. And you can see how he's, he's trying to help them understand that the Messiah had to suffer. It wasn't something they quite understood at that time, but that he had to suffer. But he was testifying of Jesus as Lord in those places all throughout Pamphylia and Pisidia. We have two, as I mentioned, there are two extracts about what Paul was preaching. The longest of those is in chapters 13, verses 16 through 41. Chapter 13, verses 16 through 41, one of the longest recorded messages of Paul. Uh, what was he saying when he evangelized? That's a good, good place to look and, and, and consider how he uh, uh, spoke to Jews there. And then in chapter 14, in a little bit of contrast, a shorter excerpt, a shorter extract... But it gives us a little bit of a sense of how Paul was speaking to pagans, 
how he was speaking to non-Jews, how he was preaching the gospel to them. Actually, chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, that smaller extract is kind of a preview, a, uh, an appetizer, if, if, if you will, uh, to getting you ready for chapter 17, when Paul will speak to the Areopagus, the Mars Hill Society. That's the fuller treatment of some of the themes he begins in chapter 14. So evangelizing, that's absolutely clear. Most people would grab that and get that from this text. They'd understand that as part of the work that these men were sent out to do. But second, these men were also establishing new churches in those areas where numerous people had been converted. Establishing new churches. So in many of the places where Paul and Barnabas ministered, Acts chapter 13 and 14, we read about the disciples who remained. It says the disciples were there and they were rejoicing. It says the disciples gathered around Paul after he had been stoned, I think, outside of Lystra, right? All of a sudden, you have people being referred to with a corporate identity, This idea that they're now recognized as a group. They're called the disciples in these places. In fact, Acts 14 verse 23 talks about every church that now existed in these regions. Now remember, brothers and sisters, this is not like today. You can't just drive through a town like you would today. You didn't drive through a town or walk through a town or or chariot or wagon through a town in those days and see the Methodist church and the Baptist church and the Pentecostal church and the and the Anglican church and whatever whatever you might say. No, no, no. There was nothing here. But by the end of chapter 14, Luke can say every church That should amaze us. That should warm our hearts when we see this. Every church. And the same verse, chapter 14, verse 23, also describes how Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in these churches. Were these new churches, were these new churches and new elders simply left to fend for themselves? No, the third aspect of this Holy Spirit commissioned work involved Paul and Barnabas encouraging these churches on follow-up visits, right? We know that, how he encouraged them on follow-up visits. We see that uh, at the end of chapter 15, some months later, as we read about the end of chapter 15, Paul returned to these same churches in order to continue his ministry of encouragement. And in fact, in this chapter 14, it says that they went back around the circle that they had made. They went back through the churches. And then by the very next chapter, Acts 15, Paul is heading out. Remember, him and Barnabas were going to go, but they had a little bit of a dispute about taking John Mark. Yep. So Barnabas said, I'm going to take John Mark. I still think he's valuable for the work. What did Paul do? He grabbed Silas. He grabbed Silas and said, let's go together. We're going to go back to those churches and we're going to encourage them. Did he encourage these churches by letter? Probably because this, these churches in Pisidia and Pamphylia actually, I believe, fell under the Roman jurisdiction provincially called Galatia. 
So when Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, I believe these were the southernmost churches included in that route of letters, the, the churches that would, would get a copy of that letter, facing some of the same challenges. These were the oldest churches, weren't they? The oldest churches in Asia Minor, because this is often described as Paul's first missionary journey bringing the gospel here, establishing churches here, encouraging these churches, whether by follow-up visit or by letter, as we see throughout the whole of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament is composed of letters that are part of, that are expressions of this encouraging ministry to write, to encourage, to comfort, to challenge, to correct, maybe to rebuke, to inform, to guide Now, if you want to hear about all three aspects of this work, evangelizing, establishing, and encouraging, just look with me at chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. You may have to flip a page, scan down, chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. Look at what Luke tells us. When they, Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel to that city, that's Derbe, and had made many disciples... There's the evangelizing work. They're preaching the gospel and through the proclamation of the gospel, making disciples. Make sense? Don't separate the gospel and making disciples. They go together. You can't make a disciple without the gospel. Making a disciple is an explanation of the response of an individual to the gospel. Preaching and making disciples. That's the first part, evangelizing. They returned, it says, back around counterclockwise or whatever. Uh, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Pisidian Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them. There's the word itself, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, there's the establishing work. How did they do that? With prayer and fasting. Sound familiar? Prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Man, I have no doubt, like in Ephesians chapter 20, where Paul, sorry, Acts chapter 20, where Paul is with the Ephesian elders, I have no doubt that there were some tears shed. Even though he had not known them long, Right? A matter of maybe weeks or months that he had known these new believers to commit them in and entrust them to Jesus. To say, it's going to be a long time probably before we're back. Months. Maybe years. But you're in good hands. Because we have a faithful Lord. We have a mighty King. And he turned them over. He committed these new believers, these young believers, into God's hands prayer and fasting. What a beautiful picture. Now, with that work in mind, right? That, that work, that Holy Spirit commissioned work of evangelizing, establishing, and encouraging. With that in mind, look at how these two chapters conclude in chapter 14, verse 26. And from there, it says that they sailed to Antioch on the Orontes, Syria. They sailed there, the very place where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled, sent out from the church, right? 
And I love that phrase because it gives us a little bit more of an explanation how they were sent out. Were they sent out by fasting and prayer? Absolutely. Did they lay hands on them when they went out? Absolutely. But it says that they did that in this spirit. They commended them to the grace of God. Brother Saul, brother Barnabas, we love you. We are so thankful for you. We commend you to the grace of God. By his grace you go. By his grace you will be successful if you are successful. By your grace you'll come back to us. Being sent out from us. And when they had arrived, verse 27 says, they gathered the church together and they declared all that God had done with them. No PowerPoint slides, although that would have been cool to have PowerPoint slides, right? To share with the group. They shared how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, to the ethne, to the nations. And they remained no little time with the disciples in Antioch. So notice how, notice how Paul and Barnabas returned to the very church from which they were sent. Why is that so important? Just to grasp that and, and hold on to that. Why is that so important? Because it emphasizes the fact that what these men were doing was an extension of the Antioch church's ministry. Does that make sense? They went out from Antioch and they returned to Antioch. Why? Because they were commissioned from Antioch. This was an extension of the ministry of the Antioch church. Can you imagine being part of that church and coming together because you hear the word, you hear news that Saul and Barnabas had returned after who knows how many months away. You get the news that they've come. The church is gathering. Your brothers and sisters are gathering. And you get to hear firsthand from the guys who lived Acts chapters 13 and 14 about the mighty deeds of God. About what God was doing in them and through them. Can you just imagine the excitement as you heard this? This gathering would be like a baby shower for your church. Right? It would be like a baby shower for your church. It would be a celebration of new life. It would be a celebration of one church. The church in Antioch. Giving birth to new churches in Pisidia, in Pamphylia, maybe in Cyprus, we're not told. I love what chapter 15 tells us about the reaction of other churches in the region. These are churches on the way back to Jerusalem from Antioch. Chapter 15, verse 3. Uh, so these are uh, along the coast in Phoenicia and then down cutting inland into Samaria. And when Paul and Barnabas went back to Jerusalem in chapter 15 and they were sharing about what God had done. Look what it says. Chapter 15, verse 3 tells us that when Paul and Barnabas shared about the conversion of the Gentiles, that it brought great joy to all the brothers. Now, in light of that, can you imagine how the sending church itself would have reacted? You know, there was great joy. You know that it was an amazing time together celebrating what God had done, giving thanks to God. Now, think about how all of this fits into what we talked about last time, last Sunday. Think about how all of it fits. What did we say last week? 
with Philip and the Ethiopian official. You remember? We talked about how episode after episode, story after story, account after account in the book of Acts highlighted how God was at work in the church and through the church. How he was at work to open doors for his word. That the growth described in this book of Acts, this growth was happening, this growth of the Christian faith was a result of God at work. God opening doors. And and isn't this exactly what we heard, even using that same language in chapter 14, verse 27? Did you you hear it? Did you hear that same language? Paul and Barnabas declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith faith to the gentiles there it is there it is open the door of faith this is why chapters 13 and 14 are so very important right here at the very center of this book dead center they're so important because this journey journey this first missionary journey of paul as it's traditionally known helps us to see The fullness of how the marching orders of Jesus, how the great commission of Jesus was fulfilled by the early church. It was not simply about getting the word out. It wasn't simply about converting people. It wasn't simply about everyone who had been pulled into the lifeboat of Jesus now pulling someone else into that lifeboat. It was not about simply multiplying converts. It was about multiplying churches. Churches. Establishing. Encouraging. Now, why is this so important? Why am I even making a big deal of this? For some of you, it's a no-brainer. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Historical tidbit. A little bit of trivia there, right? Well, interesting, Pastor Bryce. Why is this so important? Because this work to which the church was called and commissioned by Jesus was both gospel sharing and disciple making. Right? It's the gospel sharing, disciple making work of the church. And the work of making disciples, the work of baptizing them and teaching them to obey or observe all that I've commanded you was entrusted to the church, not simply individuals. It's not simply a one and done transaction. As we often think about conversion, disciple-making is a process. The very words themselves from the lips of Jesus tell us that. Baptizing steps, right? Baptizing, step one. Uh, Step two, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. You're not doing that in just 15 minutes. You're not doing that in an hour, right? You're not doing that. In in even just days or months. Why was Paul writing letters to all these churches that are now preserved for us in the New Testament? Because he was continuing the disciple-making work. He was teaching them how to obey what Christ their Lord had taught. When they had questions like in the Corinthian church. Now concerning food sacrificed to idols. 
Now concerning the Lord's table. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Now concerning sexual morality. They had to be taught. They had to be guided. They had to be corrected. They had to be encouraged, exhorted. This was all part of the disciple-making work as we understand it here. This work was entrusted not just to individual believers, but to local churches, hopefully healthy local churches. Antioch was a healthy local church. And as we've seen this morning, it became a reproducing church. Let's not forget how the church in Antioch was planted or birthed in the first place. Do you remember? You read about it in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 verse 19 tells us that Jewish Christians who were coming from Jerusalem, why were they going to Antioch from Jerusalem? Because, verse 19 of chapter 11, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Acts chapter 7, when he was martyred, killed for his faith in Christ, it sent shockwaves, right? Right? The hammer came down and there was a ripple effect and Jewish Christians were heading to the hills. They were running. They were heading to Antioch as one of the places that they went. We're told in chapter 11, verse 21, that as these Jewish Christians went, uh, many of them only spoke to Jews. But verse 21, a great number who believed, sorry, uh, some spoke to Greeks as well. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So when news of this conversion of both Jews and Gentiles had reached the church in Jerusalem... The church in Jerusalem sends out a a deputy. They send out a guy to say, go investigate what's going on up in Antioch. Who is that? Barnabas. So Barnabas goes up there to check out what's going on. He sees what's going on. He rejoices. He recognizes then that there's a, a need to establish and encourage this church. Evangelize, establish, encourage. He's going to do. He wants to establish and encourage this church. What does he do? He goes and gets Saul from his hometown of Tarsus. He gets Saul and he brings him back to Antioch. And it says there in chapter 11 of Acts that when they came back, they spent a whole year building up that body. You see, they were encouraging. They were doing disciple-making work there for a whole year with the church at Antioch. So by the time that you get to Acts chapter 13, what kind of church are we meeting here in Antioch? We're meeting a healthy church. We're meeting a church fairly new, but man, getting some really good teaching. When you've got preachers and Sunday school teachers like Saul and Barnabas, (laughs) you bet you're going to get some good, good stuff. You're going to be built up in the word. And that's exactly what this church was was benefiting from. So this is a healthy church sending them out. Now, I want you to notice here. Think about that as origin story for the church in Antioch. Notice that the Jerusalem church did not plant the church in Antioch in any kind of deliberate way. In fact, it's another indication of the reality that it's not spoken, but you can read between the lines in the first 11 to 10 or 11 chapters in the book of Acts. And you can see that even though Jesus commissioned his followers to go to Jerusalem, where they were, Judea, the region surrounding, Samaria, the adjacent region, and to the ends of the earth, what was the church doing? Nothing. They were sitting in Jerusalem. They were not going out. 
And so what do you see because of that? God chastising them and smashing them? No. God begins to move and saying, you know what? Peter, you're going to the coast. I'm taking you over this way. Philip, guess what? You're going out to the desert. And God starts moving them around. And all you all right here in Jerusalem, guess what? You're going to get scattered, boom, through persecution. And you're going to run. Ah! Oh, where are we now? Oh, Antioch? Oh, I'm going to preach the gospel here, I guess. That's the hand of God for a church dragging its feet to move them into the great commission of Jesus. And what do we see in Acts chapter 13? The Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, coming in a deliberate way to say, okay, now it's time to get your act together. It's time to begin intentionally moving out to the nations. This is the beautiful picture that we have, evangelizing, establishing, and encouraging, intentionally sending out this team to evangelize and plant churches. This was the work to which the Spirit had called these men. Last Sunday, we talked about how the Word of God got from there to here, right? Jerusalem to Buckeye, 2,000 years. And we also talked about how the Word of God goes from here to there, to the people in our circles, to our community, to our neighbors, ultimately to the nations from this place right here. So as we've talked about that, what I believe God wants us to understand in light of our passage this morning is that not only were individuals faithful to share the good news about Jesus down through the centuries, right down to your doorstep, I pray, but that churches were faithful. Churches were faithful to reach those individuals. Churches were faithful to disciple those individuals. Churches were faithful to equip those individuals. Churches were faithful to send out and support those individuals who themselves went on to establish healthy churches that would do the very same thing. That's why we're here today. As many of you know, I stand here sharing God's word with you because a church called Camelback Bible Church was faithful to do this very work. In and through me and the team that I was sent with out here, And in fact, that same year, they planted another church in downtown Phoenix as well. We believe these teams were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Amen? But from the church. From that church in Paradise Valley. Sent out by the Holy Spirit, but from Camelback Bible Church. And that reality, that scriptural insight right there should challenge all of us in terms of our perspective on God's work. 
It's good that I challenge you as I did from the word because it's true and you need to understand and get and get kind of for all of us to encourage one another in that truth that we are called to reach out to individuals, all of us, wherever God has us, that God puts you in a circle, whether that's in physical real life or it's contacts you have on your email or in your phone, right? People you run across who happen to be on your path that day, that week, that month, your barber, your stylist, right? The person who works on your car, the mechanic, the person you're sitting next to on an airplane flight, whatever it might be, we believe God has called us to be witnesses in those times, to love and minister. But, but church, you also need to see if you do not already that that is not, that's not the extent of the work. That the, that the work of Jesus and the mission of Jesus is bigger than that. And that we corporately need to grab hold of this vision as I hope you've grabbed hold of that vision personally for yourself as an ambassador for Christ, as a sent one for Christ, that we corporately would grab hold of this vision here and say, Lord, we want to be faithful. So how, does, how do these things, how should they, they be applied in your life? Let me give you three suggestions, okay, in terms of application. First, assess every ministry you support or, want, or are asked to support in light of their commitment to strengthen and or multiply local churches. Assess every ministry you support in light of their commitment to strengthen and or multiply local churches. Christians have not always done well in this area. In fact, the 20th century was a downturn in a lot of ways in this regard, the very thing that we're talking about here. We support and we have sent out, even the last century into this century, many evangelists, Bible translators, relief workers, youth workers, campus workers, sports ministry people, chaplains, mechanics, artists, lecturers, and the list could go on and on and on and on. And many of these individuals are certainly used by God to extend the gospel's reach in terms of the name of Christ. But oftentimes, at least in terms of my experience and from what I've read, such ministers and ministries have no or very weak connections with the ministry of the local church. In fact, some attempt to replace the local church. They won't tell you that right out, you know, explicitly. But when you're on the inside and you see how they function, they act like they don't need the local church. They try to do everything themselves. They're a counterfeit church, even though they're well-intentioned. These kinds of ministries and these kinds of ministers tend to focus on making converts rather than disciples. You see, they couldn't make disciples. Why? Because that's the work of the church. There's no uh, freelancers. There's no lone wolf operatives mentioned in the New Testament. Everyone there is coming out of a local church or going back to a local church, right? There are no parachurch ministries mentioned in the New Testament. It's not a category. It doesn't exist. Does that make sense? There's only one organization or organism or institution, to use those words loosely, 
in the New Testament. It is the local church. It is the church, capital C, manifested and expressed in local small C churches. Does that mean a parachurch is bad? No. But para means to come alongside of in Greek, like the paraclete, the helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. And a true parachurch understands that they will come alongside of the local church, like Compassion International. We switched from another agency, uh, my wife and I in sponsoring a child, we switched from another agency because they weren't preaching the gospel very well and they didn't support the local church. Compassion has a beautiful vision for partnering with the local church and saying, we want to we equip your local church to have ministry bond beyond its borders and be a blessing. And they really come alongside and try to, to work in that way powerfully. So look for those groups. Look for how, they're, how they think about the church, how they talk about the church, how they support the church, and support them. Let's look for ways to support missionary efforts that do the very same things we see here in chapters 13 and 14 of the book of Acts. Evangelizing, establishing, and encouraging. Second, learn about, pray for, and celebrate over these efforts both near and far. We have the privilege, as an example, of partnering with the Lauston and Murray families in Quebec as they seek to evangelize and plant a church among the most unreached people group in the Western Hemisphere, the Quebecois, French-speaking Canadians, the most unreached people group in North and South America. So they are doing a wonderful work up there. Who is sending these men and their families? Faithful churches, specifically Calvary Baptist Church in Sioux Lookout, Ontario. They've left that church, being sent out from that church. They are now with L'Église de Verdun in Montreal. That church there in Montreal, as the, and they are being supported. These churches are being supported by a parachurch group called Mission Quebec. So we see, what do we see? Healthiness, right? Churches sending, churches supporting. Parachurch, believers coming alongside to support the churches in this work. And, of course, during the short life of our church, we've also had amazing opportunities to partner with church planners in India. We've seen that through Daniel's ministry and the multiplication of churches there. We've even sent individuals to places like Africa and to Japan in order to encourage and work with local churches there as they minister You see, we play a very small part in all of these. We recognize that. But as we do, and as we hear back, we need more of those baby shower moments of celebration, don't we? Right? We need that. Do you you know about the works that we're doing in Quebec? Do Do you check up and read about these things? I would encourage you to do so. If you're on Facebook, you can get connected with the Lausons and Murrays on there. They've got a group. We post all the newsletters online. I've got to get some of the more recent ones up there. I'll send those out to you. But look at what God is doing and how we are a part of that, just as partners to help with that ministry. This is what we need to be about, brothers and sisters. And on that same note, third, third, pray that our faith family would, in God's timing, be able to send out others for this very same work. That needs to be our corporate goal, our shared goal with one another. As Buckeye grows, we want to grow, right? As Buckeye grows, we want to grow. As Buckeye grows, we also want to welcome and encourage more healthy churches. When we see church plants around popping up, people attempting, 
to preach the gospel and make disciples, doing the same work that we're doing, those are not our rivals. Those are our brothers and sisters. I enjoyed getting together about three or four weeks ago with several other local church planners and spending time and talking and getting to know each other and continue those relationships so we can support one another because we're all on the same team. We want to encourage healthy churches here in Buckeye and keeping with the vision laid out in Acts 13 and 14. And as Buckeye grows, we also want to plant churches in keeping with the need. As it expands, as it goes north, right? More people coming into Douglas Ranch way out there, 35,000 acres going to be developed. Why shouldn't Way of Grace have a church plant in Douglas Ranch? Why not? Well, pastor, we're only, there's only like 40 people here. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Let's see how God leads and gives growth. But we need to capture this vision. We need to hold on to this vision and be excited about this vision. Maybe God will have us send even pl- church plants further away than Buckeye to neighboring states, to neighboring nations. Who knows what God would do? Would you pray with me that way of grace would be like the church in Antioch? That we would be responsive to the Holy Spirit as he calls, as he moves, that we would fast and pray, that we would send and support, that we would reproduce for the sake of the kingdom. And in light of it all, that we would rehearse God's mighty works of new life and then rejoice together. Doesn't that sound good to you? Too many Christians today think only in terms of people getting saved. But the Holy Spirit also thinks in terms of churches being birthed. They go hand in hand, brothers and sisters. Uh, The two have to go hand in hand since our mission is not simply conversion. It is making disciples. This is how the kingdom expands, through embassies of the kingdom of God, embassies we know as local churches. And what drives all of this? What drove these men? What drove everything that we talked about this morning? The gospel. Christ crucified and raised. Christ as Lord. These men didn't obey because they had to. They didn't go because they had to. They went because they wanted to. It was their great delight to go. We pray and partner and plan and give and send and go, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we want others to know this same joy, because we have joy in Jesus. We have a new heart from him that loves what he loves. New birth in individual lives and in new churches. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Would you pray with me?